Thank you, Russell. I, I don't exemplify what we just sang any more than anybody else, and I want that to be clear. I am a fellow struggler. The struggle goes on. The struggle that you have right now goes on for a lifetime. We're in the midst of a battle between good and evil. Satan would want to plant doubts in your heart and mind all of your life. And yet we know who's going to win. And he lives within us, as Russell has just prayed. I'm so happy to be with you again today. Most of the time I'm away from home, and I don't really know where home is anymore because I'm supposed to be living in Michigan, but the Lord hasn't seen fit to sell our home here yet. And so each day, my wife and I, Luetta, are trying to figure out why it is that we're still here uh, and what it is that we haven't learned yet so that we can go where we're supposed to be. Also, my secretary, Miss Harriet Ishii. Not that we want to leave here, uh, but the assignment that God has given me is based in Michigan and all the people that I work with are in Michigan. And so it's really kind of hard. And so I, I guess I hadn't planned to do this, but would you, if you think about it, pray that God would sell our house, even in this bad market, so we can really get about it, full speed ahead what he has called us to do. I mentioned that I've just been in Spain and came away after nine or ten months of research. You know, research is a comfortable thing to do. You know, those of you faculty people who do a lot of research or have maybe, or those who are in science, that, that's a really kind of comfortable place to be. I've never done it before. But when you're doing research and you're doing study and analysis and then you're making recommendations, that's all very comfortable because nobody expects much of you when you're doing that. I mean, I don't mean to say that, okay, in the way that it sounds. But let me, let me tell you where I'm going. I suddenly now find myself uh, appointed to lead a charge into eight countries where there have been no missionaries sent before and where we don't know how we're going to get the permissions. We don't have permission to send a missionary into any of these countries yet, except for short-term people going in uh, as tourists and short-term as I go uh, into the Soviet Union especially. Uh, but we're just trying to figure out you know, how the Lord wants us to do all of this. Uh, so pray for us in that regard too. What I'm saying is I feel this tremendous weight. You know, it's like final exams coming. Uh, and I don't know how to study. I mean, I'm just having to lay myself before the Lord and say, I don't know how to do this. You know, the funniest thing was when, when we were in Spain and, and they voted, they voted on the recommendations, 22 men from all over the world, uh, the recommendations that I had made that we go into these eight countries and even claiming Albania, which hasn't opened yet, but saying we want to have two missionaries in Albania within the next year. Well, that's a little bit of a step of faith since that's, we know for sure they can't go at this moment. And, and so what happened uh, through that, I make the recommendations, there's a little bit of discussion, and they call for, for the vote. Somebody makes a motion, somebody seconds the motion, they call for the vote. Not only is it unanimous, but all 22 guys stand up to show this total support. We're going into these eight countries. Now, this is a mission agency that's been in operation since about 1945, and we, the total number of countries that we're in since then isn't eight countries, right? I mean, it's only about six or seven. I and mean, we usually study for two or three years before we go into a country. And so these men stand unanimously, and boy, they give this great support. We're going into these countries. And I had this sinking feeling come over me, you know. How am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I, and I stood up and I said, you know, i got to tell you, and maybe you want to revote this thing. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do it. I want to tell you. All of your lives, if you don't know how you're going to pass the test, you can study for that. You know, I've been studying for a lifetime for what God has assigned to me, and I don't know how to do it. So I covet your prayers. But I then said, 
What's worse, I don't know how not to do it. We have to do it. We have to do it. So we're trusting God that he will enable us to do it. Since I was here in the spring speaking in, in chapel, I've been to Poland, Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, the Soviet Union two times, Canada twice, and Spain. Uh, and so I have been traveling quite a bit. And I have seen our God at work in all of these places in wonderful ways, uh, not to mention in the United States. Not only has God opened these doors tremendously in these parts of the world where it was so shut down, where it was a crime to be a Christian, a crime, a crime to teach a child the Bible, etc. Not only has God opened those doors, but he's touching, he seems to be touching hearts of people all over America, all over Canada, and burdening them. Churches, everyone seems to be very excited and wanting to be a part of what God is doing. I wanted to mention before I forget that um, Harvey and Don Strauss, some of you know them, they represent Send International, they're West Coast reps. My mission agency is called Send International. And they will be here on campus to interview um, young men and women concerning summer opportunities for next year as well as concerning career opportunities. I'm looking for 78 people right now to go into all these countries in various capacities as soon as they can get the language training done and finished with their schooling and, and get on with that. So they will be here a week from Monday, the 15th of October. Uh, and you may make an appointment to see them by talking to Miss Harriet Ishi uh, in, in Student Affairs and Student Life in King Hall. And she'll be happy to make you an appointment for that. As we are on the eve of what we call the Missions Conference, and you have opportunities next week to go out uh, and see how God has gone before you. This is the most exciting time of the year at the Master's College. The most exciting time to be sure. Be anticipating it. I hope you are, especially you new students. And all of you, please be in prayer concerning what God wants to show you next week. He wants to show you how he can use you in a tremendous way, perhaps in a greater way than you've ever experienced in all of your life. Uh, and I want to deal with some scripture today. Colossians chapter 4, please. But as you're turning there, I, I want to share a few things that the Lord has been doing in some of these countries. And I'm going to try, as I relate some personal experiences, Try most of these personal experiences will be relating as examples of the sovereignty of God and how he is at work moving in and through men and women around the world today to give you a little bit of excitement about how he wants to use you, even this coming week for Missions Conference. When I went to Poland uh, this last spring, uh, a lot of my trip there was coordinated by a seminary student at, at the Master Seminary named Janik Pazio, whom the Lord had brought from Poland to study the Word of God. And he made arrangements for me. It was really exciting because he made arrangements uh, with an unsafe couple in Warsaw to meet me at the airport and give me their apartment, uh, a business couple. It was really interesting. They didn't come to Christ yet. Uh, but I think they're going to uh, in time. And so my hosts there, often in these countries, my hosts and hostesses have been unsaved people that the Lord just uh, allows you to be a little bit a part of what he's wanting to do in their lives. Well, in the course of the time in Poland, uh, we were drawn closer into the opportunity to help start the first evangelical seminary in all of Eastern Europe. And it began classes early this week with about 20 students. I've been trying to get in touch with them all week. Uh, and haven't been able to get through the busy circuits. To, so I could give an actual report here this morning, but I, the Lord just didn't let me get through to them. 
One of the things that we did was send them a library. We sent them a, a basic theological library, 20, 2,500 books, carefully chosen by Professor Jim Stitzinger of the Master's Seminary, who also has an organization on the side called Books for Libraries. He's the only man alive that we know of worldwide who buys and sells entire libraries. Uh, and God has strategically placed him at the Master's Seminary, and he's been helping me provide libraries. Uh, God's people through Send International have been giving money for libraries. And the first library, that we, basic library that we said we, would, we made a commitment to was to help this school in Poland. You're thinking, where would we find a library in Polish? Well, you could never find a, a theological library in Polish because there are almost no theological books that have been translated into Polish. Uh, and because there's so few evangelical Christians in Poland, it almost doesn't make sense to get busy translating too many of them because the market for a theology book in Poland today might be 50 books, maybe 100 at the most. And so you really, it's hard to justify translating and printing such a small number of books. You couldn't, can't get a, a printer to do that. And so the leaders, the, those that God had raised up to lead this new seminary in Poland, had come to the conclusion, even before I went there, that the only logical thing to do was to teach them English. And so to study at this new seminary in Poland, you, have, you, you must agree to study Greek and Hebrew and also English. Now, I wonder how many seminaries we would need in America if we required uh, Polish in addition to Greek and Hebrew, you know? We probably wouldn't need as many, would we? But these people are really excited about the Word of God, and they will do anything to unlock the treasures and the tools that we take for granted. All the books that, that you have here at the Master's College. The Master's, you, you've, got all kind, you've got more books than, than a Polish pastor. Everyone in this room would have more books than a Polish pastor would have. And so we agreed to trust God to provide money for books, and money began, began to come, about $25,000 for such a library. Now, in addition to the, to the 2,500 theology books, uh, all of Dr. John MacArthur's books, more than 100 titles have been sent, donated by a foundation, and about five or 600 of his sermon tapes. I can't imagine a better way to, to learn both English than theology than to listen to Dr. MacArthur's sermon tapes, and they thought that was a great idea too. So that li library is in place. That seminary is already operative. And we're trying to design that as to be the model, to be the, the model, uh, to be sort of the, um, the standard to be followed in all the other Eastern European countries. Now, our mission agency has been invited to, to provide the, the church planning component. And we'll be going over in January and working on the details as to just how we're going to do that. Uh, but because they've never seen anybody start a church in Poland or in these other countries. They've been fighting to keep their churches from being put out of business and often unsuccessfully. And so they've invited us to, to bring people who are veteran church planters. We're going to work out a curriculum with them. We're then going to work out a, a way that, that the, the, the third and fourth year students will actually be involved on a church plant team within 100 kilometers of, of Wrocław, where the seminary is, so that they will be getting good church planting experience even before they graduate. Well, that's one thing that we're doing. I want to mention also that uh, not only is the Lord using Jim Stitzinger from Master Seminary, but there is a Sunday school class at Grace Community, an adult class called the Agape class, that has been processing all these books. We, we buy used books uh, from pastors or from seminary professors who are retiring. Uh, we, we, we bought them from schools that have been going out of business. Uh, and this Sunday school class then volunteers to, to dust them off and put labels in. We put a label in each book. Each book 
to all these, and, and I'll mention all the other ones that are already in motion. Each library book for these various seminaries has a label that printed in the language of that country, and it says, this book given by Christian brothers and sisters in, in America and in Canada for the purpose of, of helping in the training of, of godly men to advance the kingdom of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the great nation of Poland in that case. And then it has a Send International logo, and it has a Master's Seminary logo. Um, so we're becoming known even, even that way in Poland. Other libraries that are already funded, the Lord has funded, and, and, and Jim Stitziger has already acquired them. There are two right now that are, that are on ships for Rotterdam. Uh, we'll be going into Frankfurt, Germany, and then one will be transported by Slavic Gospel Association by truck to the city of Kiev in the Soviet Union. That will be a larger one, 3,600 volumes plus Dr. MacArthur's books and tapes. And then a, another one the same size as the one in Poland is also en route uh, to Odessa down on the Black Sea for the Bible school there. We already have funding for a library for Moscow and really already have that one already purchased. We have a library about half funded and half purchased for Romania. There'll be another one for Bulgaria. There'll be one for Czechoslovakia. There'll be one for each of the Eastern European countries, several for the Soviet Union. Uh, so you'd be praying with us that, that God, and you're maybe thinking, well, how can they do English? In all of these countries, they're doing just as they did in Poland. They're teaching English to all the seminary students. And some of you that the Lord may call to some of these countries, we're all working on opportunities where, whereby you may be able to study the language of that country in the same city where the seminary is, where you would study it, for example, in Kiev, where we've worked out the deal with Kiev State University for a tremendous language program, five to one student-teacher ratio. Can you imagine that? Five to one, 34 hours a week in class studying either Russian or Ukrainian, whichever you choose, for 10 months. You can't help but learn the language. I mean, you just can't help it. Now, and, and the church is going to provide housing for the students that are there, as well as uh, the church is asking if the students that come to study Russian or Ukrainian would spend a few hours a week at the seminary in the same city, city uh, teaching English to the seminary students, and in the process, then learning the Christian vocabulary that they wouldn't be learning at the university. So, a number of exciting things that, that God is doing. Those are some things that some of you may want to talk to Harvey and Don Strauss or to me about in the days ahead. When I was in the, the country of Bulgaria, by the way, Bulgaria still has communist leadership. Romania really still has communist leadership. Uh, the people have elected in a free election. They've elected communists. Uh, can't figure it out, except that God isn't finished somehow with allowing that communist influence for his own good purposes. I was in the city of Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, in late April, and I was hunting for the Foreign Student Institute. I, I was hunting for the place where some of you would be able to go to study Bulgarian, if God is calling you to Bulgaria. In Bulgaria, as in Poland, less than one, way less than one out of every thousand people is born again. Way less than one out of every thousand, okay? But everybody's interested. So I'm riding streetcars. I try to do that as much as I can. I try to avoid uh, uh, traveling the way Americans do. I try to get into the culture when I travel so that I can sort of feel like I'm living like the people do who live there. And so I, I was getting directions from various people, you know? I'd ride it. They'd say, take streetcar 14, I'll go out to such and such a street and get off right there, and there you'll find the Foreign Student Institute. So I rode out there. And I got off, and I went where the man had said, and uh, I found that's not the Foreign Student Institute, that's something else. Uh, but I got to meet a very nice man. He was a chemical engineer, taught in that particular school, and got to give him a track, which he seemed very interested to receive, and got to witness to him a little bit. And then he gave me another direction, 
So I got another streetcar and I rode for another half hour and I found this other location. That wasn't the right one either, but I did get to meet a man there and I got to give him a track. Uh, and that happened all afternoon. And, and, and finally, I have to admit, it was sort of a hot spring afternoon, you know, and, and riding streetcars and standing and being squished isn't that much fun anyway. Uh, and, and so I, I was sort of starting to border on frustration, you know, about as much as a Christian ought to have. Uh, and, uh, and then I realized, and then, and then the Lord gave me this thought, you know, maybe, maybe it isn't important that I ever find that store foreign, foreign student institute. Uh, I could, I could get their address through the embassy, uh, through the, through the Bulgarian embassy in Washington. And we could write them a letter. But maybe what's really important is that God wanted, had appointments for me with all these people, the way you're going to have appointments next week with people you haven't met yet. And so with that thought in mind, uh, the day was gone. It was about 5.30 and I needed to get back because I was you know, going to be speaking in a church that night on the other side of town. I didn't know quite where it was. And so I, I got on a streetcar. I had about a 45 or maybe even an hour ride to go back to where I was staying. I was staying with a family. One of the things you want to do in a country if you want to get to know the people is whenever you get a chance, don't stay in a hotel. If you can find a rental agency where, where people who maybe are a little poor and they need to rent out an extra room like a widow or something and she needs a little extra money and she has an extra bedroom, something like that. And so I, I, I had stayed in a, with a family that way and so I had to get my way back to, to this location. Got on the streetcar saying to the Lord, boy, I am really tired. I would love to be able to get a seat. I got on, there was a seat, you know. I mean, I really hadn't quite prayed for it. I'd hoped for it, you know. And there was the seat, the only seat. And I sat down, thank the Lord, and I got to sit down until the next stop, about one block. And then the door opened, and on, on the streetcar came a gypsy girl. Now, gypsies are the scorned people in this part of, of Europe. I mean, they're the low people on the totem pole. This girl was about 16 years of age, and she had a very sad face, and she had a very protruding stomach no doubt uh, pregnant out of wedlock I saw her coming and it was clear that God wanted me to give her my seat and so I got up and I gave her my seat and then I handed her a tract in Bulgarian all scripture and I began to pray you see those of you who are going into East LA or where you're going to be trying next week to minister to people uh, who speak another language don't be concerned about that you can pray give them a tract and stand there and pray as they read it try to get them to read uh, Literature evangelism is, is incredibly effective over much of the world. And so she's reading this so intensely. I mean, she just had her eyes glued to this track. She read the first page, read the second page, turned it, turned it. And then she looked up at me with a, an expectant smile on her face and she pointed up skyward. She knew it was God's word. And I know it was the first time she had ever had God's word in her hand before. She was so excited. She read it for it, and I'm praying, standing there praying, you know, that God's spirit would move in her heart. She continues to read for about five more minutes, and then for some reason she quit reading. And she took that track, and she put it in her passport very carefully. She took her passport, she put it in a plastic envelope, one of those ones you zip up. She put that in a manila envelope and put that in a purse and put her hands on it. And she looked out the window for about, about two minutes, max, and then she undid it all. She couldn't wait any longer. She took it all out again. She got the track out. She started to read it again. Okay? Now, about this time, this time, I hadn't even noticed there was a man standing next to me. Right? Hadn't even noticed because I was so interested in this gypsy girl. The man next to me tapped me on the shoulder. He said, what gypsy girl? Me too? He wanted a track. He wanted a track. So I gave him a track. 
we talked for about 30 seconds because he's getting off at the next stop, you know. He stuck the track in his pocket, told me he was a chemical engineer, told me he went to church when he was a little kid a couple of times. Uh, and then he said this, just before he got off the streetcar. He said, gypsy girl. He pointed skyward and he said, two, two. Now, I don't know where this guy was spiritually, but he knew that the word of God had something to do with people getting into heaven. And that gypsy girl had it. And he was already claiming even a gypsy girl through the word of God would make it to heaven. The next day in the same city, Sofia, Bulgaria. I got up. It was the day before Easter. I looked at the newspaper. I mean, this is a city where the communists were, were totally in control. They hadn't even had an election yet. Where it was a deep crime to be a Christian. I pick up the newspaper the day before Easter and the headlines across the top two inches high said, said Christos Vosques. That means Christ arose. Okay? Christ arose on the communist newspaper printed by on the communist presses and there's a picture of an Orthodox church on the front page. As I went around through that day, I, I discovered that that night, the night before Easter, at 12 o'clock, the Communist Party had invited all of its members to come to the Orthodox Church for the Midnight Mass. Unheard of. We mentioned on Wednesday, I mentioned on Wednesday, that I am convinced that, that what we've seen here is God's judgment on these countries. I think he's gotten the attention of the communist leaders. Now, you might say, well, they're just trying to manipulate. They're just, they're, they're going to have to get elected in the future, they think, and so they're going to try to get the Christian vote, and that may be part of it, but God can work through that as well. It's tremendous to see that. Well, later in the day, I had to go to Moscow. And so I got a taxi to the airport. That's one time I get taxis when I have all my suitcases and things. You know, it's a little hard to maneuver on the streetcars. And so off we go to the airport. Get in the car, start talking to the taxi driver. By the way, uh, those of you who are studying Russian, you'd be thrilled to find out that they don't mind speaking Russian in Bulgaria. They don't want to speak it in any other country, and they'll be angry with you if you do, so you don't speak it in the other Eastern European countries. But in Bulgaria... Uh, and Bulgarian is very close to Russian anyway. It's in the Cyrillic language, and so you can look forward, if you're studying Russian, to being able to communicate in Bulgaria. And so I'm talking with this fellow and, and uh, ask him about his faith, and he immediately said, guy about 40 years old, he said, oh, he said, I, I, I'm not a believer. He said, I've been taught since I was a little child there is no God. And so why would I believe there's a God? I mean, everyone's taught me there's no God. We drive along a little bit, and if you've been in Sofia, Bulgaria, it's... There's a beautiful mountain range right alongside the city. And in late April, it was still snow covered. It was just gorgeous. And we're driving along. And I looked up at that and I pointed up at that and I said, you know, look at those mountains. Look how beautiful they are. I said, do you believe that's a result of uh, some evolutionary accidents? He said, yes. I said, you have more faith than I do. That takes a whole lot more faith than just to believe that God created that. And he sort of stopped and thought, I guess, for a while and began to think. And God began to work. And before we got to the airport, only a 20-minute ride, he had promised to me that he would take his wife and daughter to church the next morning at the church down the street, the Baptist church. And he asked me if I would send him a Bulgarian Bible, which became a career for Miss Ishii when I got back. Bulgarian Bibles don't grow on trees around here. <clears throat> Finally, uh, we got it. Uh, and when I got to the airport, you know, one rule, of course, is when you are witnessing to a waitress, to a waiter, to a taxi driver. You don't leave a tract instead of a tip, right? Don't do that, no. Or, or you don't say, well, because I'm giving them the word of God, 
don't have to give as big a tip because after all, the word of God is worth more than the tip anyway, right? You don't say that. Now, what you do when you leave a track is you leave a very large tip. And so I get out of the taxi after witnessing this fellow and I try to give him a very large tip. And he said, no, no, yet, no extra money. And I said, Pachimu, huh? That's why. And he said, he said, what you have told me is too important. Please, no extra money. Would not take a tip at all. That's how the hunger is. Just one or two examples about how it is all over these countries. Easter morning, I'm in Moscow. Oh, it was so much fun to get into Moscow at midnight, um, after midnight, and no one meeting me at the airport, and I had nowhere to stay. And in Moscow, if you don't have a hotel reservation, you sleep on the park bench, um, usually. But the Lord worked a deal for me there, and uh, I found myself staying, checking into a hotel downtown Moscow at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and the room clerk is saying, I had, I had to have a lot of paperwork done in the meantime. I had to go to two different other hotels where I got different people proving different things and so on. Uh, because there's lots of paperwork involved in getting a hotel room in Moscow, and it usually takes uh, three or four weeks in advance. Uh, and so I, to give you an idea, the, the room clerk is on the sixth floor, you know, on the sixth floor of the hotel. That's where you get you check in. Not too many people walking in off the street. And so I check in, and the room clerk says, "says I'm afraid we don't have very good news. We have two rooms, but one doesn't have hot water, and the other one doesn't have a lock on the door. Which one do you want?" Well, I hadn't had hot water for about a week, and so I said, "I'll jam something against the door, you know, and we'll put we'll take the hot water tonight." But it gave me a tremendous opportunity to witness to this gal, we, uh, the room clerk, before I went to bed. The next morning I get up. It's a beautiful day in Moscow, just gorgeous Easter morning in Moscow. And I'm going to walk and ride subways. And I allow an extra hour to get to church. And nobody knows I'm coming to church, which is wonderful. Because if they knew I was coming, I'd be speaking. I didn't want to be speaking. I just wanted to be there to encourage them. And so I, I decide, boy, I've got this extra hour. I'm going to do a survey. And I've got my video camera. And it's beautiful, you know, with the blossoms coming out. So I decide here in a country where since 1917, everyone has been taught there is no God. From preschool all the way through, 16,000 different ways, all day long, every day, there is no God. Only fools would believe there's a God. Christians are silly, stupid people who believe in legends. And all the way to church. I, every time the Lord brought someone in my path, whether someone is buying a ticket for the subway or people I just encountered on the street, I stopped everybody, probably 25, 30 people. And I asked them all in Russian, do you know what day is this? What special day this is? And I couldn't find anybody in Moscow on Easter morning who didn't know it was Easter. Can you believe that? They didn't know that it was the day that Christ had arisen from the dead. And I can tell, I could tell who the Christians were. You know how I could tell who the Christians were? It was incredible. I mean, I would begin to talk to a Christian, just a few words about what special day this is. And the fact that I was a Westerner speaking their language and I was interested in, in, the, in Christ... They're just tears would flow down their faces. What an encouragement we can be to the church just to be there, just to come alongside, just to encourage. Finally got to Moscow Baptist Church. And some of you who have planned an Easter service, on a, when you're planning an Easter service, a common problem is that you're trying to figure out now how, can, how can we somehow make this service so that it says it? I mean, how the, the greatest news, uh, the, everything hangs on the resurrection, doesn't it? 
everything hangs on the resurrection. How do you how do you say that lot enough in a service? How do you celebrate that? How do you, how do you tell the Lord uh, in a sufficient way? How do you praise Him in a sufficient way that Christ arose? That one day you and I will also be raised from the dead. How do you celebrate that? How do you say it big enough? What do you do? I've always been frustrated when I've had a chance to plan it responsibility to plan an Easter service. I walked into Moscow Baptist Church and they have hanging over the pulpit right up here a huge sign. You got to take it by faith that it was gorgeous. Okay, Emerald green background probably 20 feet long or more and 8 or 10 feet high and on the sign it said Christos Bas Crest Christ arose and little delicate white lights forming those letters and I looked at that and I said boy they've done it they figured out you know and then the service began the pastor got, got up and the call to worship he simply said Christ arose and the whole congregation just jumped to their feet and they said it's true he arose and I thought the roof was going to fly off the place they sat down he did it again he said Christ arose they jumped up and said it they did it three times Later in the service, they did it again. And they did it at the end of the service. And then throughout that day, and an Easter spectacular that night in a football stadium, where you couldn't do anything outside in terms of sharing your faith, a year before they had rented the largest football, well, the Olympic sport complex, like none other in the world, and the big football stadium, and the church there having something they called an Easter spectacular. I've never seen anything like it. They had three or four different choirs, beginning with a children's choir, and they were outstanding. They had three or four different musical ensembles of symphonic quality. It was unbelievable. They had drama for about 30 minutes on, on the crucifixion and the, and, and the uh, resurrection of Christ with incredible uh, lighting effects that would rival Hollywood. Uh, just amazing. And then after an hour and 15 minutes of all this pre-evangelism, and I forgot to tell you, when you walked in, they gave you a testament. But I must have looked especially lost. They gave me three testaments. Interesting. I was thrilled to get them because I would give them away, you know, before the day was over. But uh, after an hour and 15 minutes of, of this spectacular celebration of the resurrection of Christ, an evangelist came up. And they even had large screens so you could see them like we do in America. They, the church didn't grow up with this there. This is the first opportunity they ever had to do anything like this. And it was first class plus. It was amazing. I didn't get to stay for the invitation. I had to go catch a train at 10 o'clock. The guy was still preaching. It was just tremendous what God is doing, what he is doing. You've heard about McDonald's restaurant um, in the Soviet Union in Moscow. How many of you have been there? Anybody stood in the line last summer? Some of you were there? I can't see. I can't see any hands. You did? Stood in the line? Did you get a Big Mac? No, I thought I saw a hand back there. I don't know if anybody would do that. You know, two and a half hours to stand in line to get a Big Mac. When I was there on Easter, I went there Easter afternoon where, where all the people were out for a walk. And the line was over two hours, okay, over two hours long to get in. And eight people wide. Eight people wide, you know, and it just went around this whole big beautiful park and, and circles up into McDonald's. Well, I decided that's too long to wait, but I'll, I'll, I'll video it and, and interview some people and talk to them, you know. 
Uh, and nobody was discouraged. Everybody's excited, you know. I mean, it's line isn't so. So when my wife and I were back there in August, we decided, let's, I, I said one morning, it's pretty early. Let's, let's see if we can get the McDonald's. After 30 days in the Soviet Union, you're interested in McDonald's, okay. And so I went there, saying to Luetta, the line can't be that long, you know. I mean, it's in the morning. The line was over three hours long on this day, longer than it was on Easter, because the word's getting around the country, I guess. And I went up to some fellow in the line, and I, and I said, um, how long do we have to wait? He said, only about three hours. Only about three hours. And I asked another one. I, I said, you know, I, I understand. You know, it's about a half a day's pay for most people. You're going to pay for a Big Mac. He said, oh, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, how could that be? Okay. Now, the reason I'm telling you about McDonald's, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that McDonald's restaurant is is there because our sovereign God has strategically placed it there. Strategically placed it there. What do I mean by that? I mean that that the only evidence that they have that life is going to get better, can get, they've been lied to all their lives, and the only evidence they have that it might get better in the days ahead is McDonald's. Because you can see it, you can touch it, you can hear it, you can smell it. You can even taste it. And God is using that, I believe, to keep Gorbachev in power. Gorbachev has been hanging on by a thread for a long, long time. And if there wasn't something in that country that was tangible evidence that it could get better in the days ahead, he would have been gone. I'm convinced that McDonald's, the $50 million they invested, the $80 million they're making this year, can you believe that? In the first year, they will gross $80 million selling hamburgers. Uh, they, they, they put $50 million into a system of production, farms and all of, and bakeries, because they couldn't rely on the local economy to do that. And, and this, it's called Food City. It's like uh, several football fields long producing this stuff. It was supposed to support 19 stores, but the first store has absorbed the whole capacity of that, okay? Unbelievable, unbelievable. And the communists are real happy about it because they have 51% of the business. The ones who didn't believe in profit before, remember? <laughs> they got 51% of, so figure that out. They got more than 40 million that government is making on McDonald's restaurant. When we, when we got to the Lagos too this summer, uh, to see Rene Rodriguez there, Rene, uh, master's college student who's out for a semester, who was one of the ones that God used to go open up Russia. He did the advanced trip, got out of school early. OM leaders asked him to come. He went in. God used him to open the doors with the government leaders, make all the arrangements with the churches. And then also then to see Ricardo Morales there leading the team and the others, uh, the others from Master's College and God using them strategically on that ship. At, at that history-making moment was just tremendous. They gave away 290,000 tracks in one afternoon in Leningrad. 290,000 tracks. 135 people from the ship. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. This is a passage of scripture that... Um, that is taken in the that is in the context of daily living. Living, it's uh, it may be if I have anything like a theme verse for my life, this is it, uh, verse two. But it's partially because of the context. Back in verse 18, Paul 
Paul tells wives how to live with their husbands. In 19, he tells husbands how to live with their wives. 20, he tells children how to live with their parents. 21, he tells fathers how to be good fathers. 22, he talks to employees. Uh, 20, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, he talks to employers. And it's in the, out of that context of daily life that he then, in verse 2, gives special instructions here. He's saying, if you want to be ready for God to use you, do you want to be ready for God to use you? That's interesting. The demons are here. Yeah. Okay. Russell's identify where the demon is. It's great, great insight. That's a man with experience. But uh, is it, that is working. Yes. Okay, we'll try something like this. Okay. So, you, how many want to be ready for God to use? You want to be ready for God to use you? I mean, might be peer pressure there because you're studying, you know. And but you want to be. You don't want God to. You don't want God to bring tremendous opportunities to you and you miss them. You miss them, they're gone. They're gone forever. And when you think about it, the Christian life, the Christian life is, could be characterized as a series of tremendous opportunities, tremendous daily opportunities tied together by hours and minutes, right? That's all it is. Series of tremendous daily opportunities tied together by hours and minutes. And I... I hate to think about how many of those I've missed because I, I was focused in my attention on something other than God's priority for that. Well, next week, when, when we shut down school and everybody goes out to seize the opportunities and to learn how to do that and to find out how God can use you, you shouldn't miss any because you ought to be really focused. And here Paul is saying how to be ready. And he gives three things. He says, first, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. A life that's characterized by prayer. What does that mean? Oh, for sure it means that you get with the Lord in the morning and many times through the day and before you go to bed at night. But it means more than that. It means a constant awareness of your total dependence upon Him for everything. You can't take the next breath or have the next heartbeat unless He gives it to you. And go from that logically to the opportunities that He's going to bring and does each day. Devote yourselves to prayer. I wish I had time to tell you, especially those of you who are new students, how in the first year of the Master's College, how many times our management team and faculty and staff were on our knees when there was no way we could have a payroll next week. There was no way we could pay the bills. And every single time, God, in marvelous, providential ways, met our every need. We were often having prayer meetings and people coming in, even through the summer, People coming in in the evenings for prayer meetings because we were at a place where we had no alternative but to be constantly aware of our dependence on God. But God blesses us so much that then we forget where it's coming from and we forget that we're dependent upon him. And that is often true in many of your lives and mine as well. So Paul is saying here, if you want to be ready for God to use you in the context of daily opportunities, be prayerful. Have a life characterized by prayer. How does that relate to next week? Oh, be praying. Be praying steadfastly through this weekend, the early days of next week. Be praying concerning the opportunities that are going to come up. Be praying that, and making sure that your heart is clean. We talked about that Wednesday so that God can use you. 
Go back and look at Psalm 51. Review it. Pray it back to God. Make sure there is nothing in your heart that's going to get in the way. And be praying for those opportunities. We'll talk about that in a moment as Paul develops this. Secondly, he says, keep alert in it. Be alert. Be alert. That means be anticipating that God is going to do something. Be anticipating. Be constantly aware that God has his hand on your life and he has his hand on all of civilization. All of civilization. I I, want to stop, just give one illustration here. Tremendous thing that I learned in in Odessa in the Soviet Union, latter part of August. A few years ago, a few years ago, a woman in Odessa, a woman in Odessa was teaching the Lord's Prayer to the students in the school there. She was a teacher. She was a Christian. She was a teacher. She was teaching the Lord's Prayer. And one of the students reported her to her parents and they came, arrested her, removed her from the school for teaching the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father, which art in heaven, the Apostles' Prayer. Not only removed her from school, placed her under, under house arrest for five years. She was allowed to have no contact with anyone. She just had to stay in her house. Couldn't have any Christians come. Totally under house arrest, incommunicado for five years. Early in August, pastor of the Central Baptist Church in Odessa, looking for a place where they could hold Sunday school classes, went to the principal of the local school. As it turned out, it was the same school where this woman had taught before. And he said to the principal, look, you know, we really need some space for Sunday school classes on Sunday. Is it possible we could work out an arrangement where we could maybe rent the public school building, your building, so we could have Sunday school there on Sunday. And the principal said, I'll make you a deal. He said, if you will send somebody to teach the Bible to all the children in the school through the week, we'll let you use the school for Sunday school on Sunday. The principal thought, I got an idea. Guess who is in that school now teaching the Bible? The woman who was arrested and removed and under house arrest for five years. That's the kind of a God we serve, okay? I mean, he is in control of it all, totally sovereign. And he's just that way getting excited about what he has for you next week. Back in, back in my first trip last November to the Soviet Union, I visited a school. I told you about that. I won't get into that. I visited a school. And one of the teachers afterwards came. In fact, I was trying to arrange a, an exchange program. Not an exchange, but I, I asked. I was so impressed with the school, I asked the principal, if he would consider bringing student teacher from the master's college uh, to learn how to, uh, to do their student teaching in that school because it was just an outstanding school. At the, end of the, at the end of a day in this school, a bunch of the teachers came up around and were asking questions. And one of them was a woman named Suzanne, who we've written with and, and sent material to since. But I hadn't seen her since. Uh, back in the last week in August, my wife and I went to a park in Kiev. Went to a park. It's a city of three million, Okay. We went to a park. We were in that park for about one hour. And the whole month of, uh, of August, we didn't take any time off. We just worked day and night, but we had an hour. We could just go to a park, beautiful flowers, and just sit on a park bench. I never did that before in my life, you know. Uh, it was nice to do. So I was sitting there for about five minutes, and, and, and my wife um, said, you know, we, we ought to just be sitting here. We ought to be passing out tracks. And so I got some tracks, and I started walking from park bench to park bench. And, and, I, and I just said in Russian, I have a, I have a small gift. For you, it's from the Word of God. And everybody smiled and took one. 
And I gave one to a lady and just walked by and she called me back. She said, hey, wait, I know you. And I came back and here in a city of three million people is this teacher that we've been writing with who isn't saved yet. She's going to get saved. She hasn't yet. She has a testament. She then decided, got her introduced to Luetta. We spent time together. She walked us back to the hotel. Yesterday, I got a letter from her. Now, she didn't talk about getting saved yet, but she, she said, you know, and she was in the hospital. She was in for surgery. She got out of the hospital, like, for, for that afternoon. She just walked away from the hospital, was sitting in a park bench, and she had to go back to the hospital, so she couldn't come to church with us that night. Well, she writes, we got a letter yesterday from her, and she's giving us the, the ad name and address of the doctor in charge, the head man of this hospital, who, when she was telling him about us, he wants to correspond with somebody in America, hopefully a doctor who's a Christian. Well, why do I say all that? Because I'm trying to get you thinking about next week, you know. Who are the Susannas? That's that girl's name. Who, who, who are the people that God already has in mind for you for next week? First, to be devoted to prayer. Second, to be alert so you don't miss what God has for you. Not next week, but the rest of your life. And thirdly, says, have an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, the most important thing, the very most important thing is to have a thankful heart. I'm convinced of that. If I were writing a doctrinal statement again sometime in the future, I would include the doctrine of thanksgiving. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible talks about having a thankful heart, thankful to the Lord for all things. That translates into a positive attitude as well. It's so important. When we have a thankful heart, we don't think things that we shouldn't. We don't even think sinful heart. Thoughts when we have a thankful heart. We don't say words that we shouldn't have said. We don't do, do sinful deeds when we have a thankful heart. I'm convinced that thankfulness and sinfulness are mutually exclusive. So if you want God to use you, you want to be ready, you've got to be prayerful, you've got to be alert, and you've got to be thankful. P-A-T. PAT. Acronym. Okay? Have a PAT mindset. Prayerful, alert, thankful. You never need to forget that. Never need to forget it. There's a young man who's, who's with us today, a graduate of the Master's College. His name is Steve Maracol. A few uh, months ago, I had opportunity to be ministering uh, at uh, Los Gatos Christian Church. Uh, and on the day, I think it was, Steve, your first day there, wasn't it? Or just about his first day. Uh, a choice young man of God, really gifted in the musical area. Uh, he is now the associate music pastor working with youth and college musical groups in, in that great church in Los Gatos. Uh, when I was in Canada here last weekend at the Briarcrest Bible College Seminary, speaking at their missions conference, they had a theme song for the weekend called The Mission by Steve Green. And I said to Russell on Wednesday, I said, boy, you know, we ought to be singing this one. Boy, it just says it all in, in, in a few short verses in the chorus. So I come in today. Russell asks me, will you be kind to enter? Would you please introduce Steve at the end of your message? And he's going to sing that song that you came back from Canada all excited about. So would you uh, welcome with